Okay. Well, let's dive in. So, uh, again, we are Friends of Internationals. We're so excited that you're here. Uh, we meet up uh, for this Faith and Food uh, once a month. So at the first Thursday of every month, we meet up. And so we're always excited to do this. We always have good food, and we always get into the scriptures together. And what we're trusting God for is that we'd pull uh, principles and application for the scripture and actually apply it to our lives, right? This book, man, it was written, you know, thousands of years ago. And still, it speaks into our lives today. Like, what, what, what other book can be written, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago and still have practical implications in my life? Well, well, this book does. And it's really, really profound. And so we want to take the principles that we learned from this book and apply it to our lives. And as we do it, we learn that it actually transforms our lives. I'm not the same person, right? And so it's really, really awesome. Uh, over the past few months, we've been studying the life of Joseph. Who has heard of Joseph? Yeah, so Joseph's a big deal. And, and he has a story that maybe a lot of us could relate to. Like hopefully none of us were sold into slavery by our siblings. But, but outside of that, <laughs> we see that Joseph, around 17 years old, he experienced like this crazy culture shock, right? He goes from the land of Canaan and he enters into Egypt, right? He goes from, uh, you know, kind of a rural setting to a big city. He comes from different customs, different language, different culture, uh, where they ate different foods, and he comes into Egypt. And so Joseph would come into Egypt as a nobody, right? They don't take notice of him. He, he's nobody. He's just a number as he comes into Egypt. But he was diligent, and he was driven, and he was determined, and he worked hard. And most importantly, the scriptures tell us that God was with him. And so even when the circumstances weren't favorable, when he was betrayed, when he was sold into slavery, when he was convicted of a crime that he didn't do, we see that Joseph remained faithful to God. And God used these tragedies, these things that happened to him to prepare him to become prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Well, this is a big story, right? This is good. And so as we've been studying, we've learned incredible leadership principles as we've studied the life of Joseph. And today we're going to find amidst a world famine that there is food in Egypt under Joseph's leadership. You guys know what a famine is? What's a famine? There's no food, right? Yeah, so we're going to learn these principles from a famine, that there is fruit out of famine. That there, there are things, there are principles that God wants to teach us, and he'll take us through a famine just to get those, right? And so I'm excited for today. There's a lot to look at. Uh, we're going to look historically to see that this famine brought the sons of Jacob to the end of themselves. And we see that they seek help at the feet of Joseph in Egypt. Uh, doctrinally, as we look at the scriptures, uh, and doctrine just means that the teaching of the scriptures, is we're going to see an incredible picture of Jesus in his first advent, which means Jesus' first coming. And practically, we're going to see that famine and this world is meant to bring you to repentance. God has a plan for famine, right? It sounds like a horrible thing. There's no food, but man, th th there's fruit in the famine. God wants to use it in your life for his glory and for your benefit. And so let's start by reading the passage. If you want to turn, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 42. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And so it's going to be the first book in the Bible. And probably, I mean, it's the most profound book in the Bible, right? Every doctrine, every key doctrine in the Bible comes out of the book of Genesis. All righty. 
Genesis 42 verses one through eight says, now when Jacob saw that there is corn in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look one upon another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is corn in Egypt, get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Ooh, this is life or death. And Joseph's 10 brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. All right. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. And uh, man, there, there's so much to communicate. Uh, and I know that we can't even get to half of it, Lord. Uh, and so I, I just pray that you would give me the words to speak. Uh, you know, that, that, that are needful. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, the, the, the gospel would be communicated today, uh, that your word would do the, the work, um, and that I could just speak with, with power and authority because that's not my own words, it's yours, Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray for our time together that would be profitable, um, that we could all take away uh, things that are practical to apply our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna start with uh, just history, right? So the Bible is a book of history. Uh, there are real people at real times and real places doing real events, right? And so the historical context of what's happening here is that there is corn in, G in Egypt amidst a worldwide famine. And so Jacob, he he's sitting there with his sons and he's looking at them and he's saying, why are you guys just looking at yourselves, right? Why are you just sitting on your bums? You need to get up and do some work. And so Jacob hears rumors of corn in Egypt. And he orders his sons to get down there and to get corn for us that we may live and not die. And so here we, we see in the very beginning of the chapter, the severity of what's at hand. It's life or death. This famine is life or death for them. And so we see that he sends them to Egypt that they might live. And so for, for us, as we study the book of Genesis, this is immediately cause for pause. You know, we, we've played, uh, you know, this scenario out before. We can look in passages like Genesis 12, where Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, left the place of God's blessing, left the land of Canaan amidst the famine to find answers and sustenance in Egypt. And it, it went horribly, right? So we see that Jacob's grandfather, he left Canaan, he left the, the, the place of God's blessing, and he went to Egypt to find a solution in the world. And it didn't go very well. And then we can look further down, we can see Jacob's father, Isaac, also experienced famine in his life. We see this in Genesis chapter 26. And we see that Jacob's uh, father, Isaac, would leave the, the land of Canaan. He'd leave this place of blessing to find a solution for the famine in the land of Philistines, right? So he didn't quite get to Egypt, but he still headed the wrong direction. And, and get this down, Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world, right? We see this over and over again. And we see over and over again 
and the life and the family of Jacob, as problems arise, as famine comes, instead of actually seeking God and trusting him for his providence and his provision, we see all of them turn to try and find solutions in this world. They trust the world for their sustenance, for the provision, and it always ends badly. But for Jacob's son, Egypt was the place that they sent their younger brother, Joseph, whenever they sold him into slavery. This was a place of guilt and condemnation for the sons of Jacob, right? And so famine was intended to bring both Jacob and his sons to the end of themselves, that they might come face to face with Egypt and repent and actually trust the Lord. These things should have brought Jacob and his sons to the point of repentance. But as is common with man, they decided to go the way of the world. So in light of this famine, Jacob and his boys and his sons, they run to the world for solutions. And in the process, it reveals their heart. It reveals whether they're willing to actually trust God for provision, or if they're going to go try and find that provision for themselves. It reveals their heart. But God has different intentions for this, right? So we see that for, for Jacob and, and for Jacob's sons, it reveals their heart posture towards the Lord. For, for God, he's able to use this famine to fulfill his word. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, it says, And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land uh, that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for 400 years. And so we're seeing that God's actually going to use this famine to make this word come true. And as we continue to, to study the, the, the passages, we get to places like uh, uh, Genesis chapter 37, where Joseph has a dream. And we see Joseph's dream come to fruition uh, because of this same famine, right? So God is able to use this famine to fulfill his words. Uh, we remember Joseph's dreams uh, that one day his brothers would bow before him. Uh, God also uses famine to grab the attention of his people by hitting them where it hurts, by hitting them in the stomach, right? By attacking their belly gods. I know whenever I get hungry, man, the whole world is coming to an end. And so he's saying, hey, I need to get your attention. How can I get your attention? Ah, uh, and attack your belly, right? You guys know the feeling. And so key principle, God desires to use famines in our life to grab our attention. He desires to use these famines to wake you up, right? To reveal where your heart's at. In the midst of a famine, where will you turn, right? God is trying to use the affairs of this world, the tragedies, the famines in this life to say, wake up. Hey, hey, you, you lost sight of me for a minute. I just wanna make sure you see me, right? God is using this to grab the attention of Jacob and his sons. In Psalm 120, verse 1, it says, In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he, he heard me. Right? So God will allow distress in your life. Why? So that you'll cry to him, so that he can hear you, so he can prove himself. In Psalm 34, verse 10, it says, A young lion do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Why? Because he's a good father, and he provides for his kids. But, man, he will let hardship happen in your life that you'd come back to him. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Man, don't be surprised when something horrible happens in your life. Don't be surprised when, when you go through a trial, but rejoice in it. And as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, 
you may be glad with exceeding joy. Hey man, you can go through a hardship because you've read the end of the story. You know that ultimately he has victory over everything, right? And so Jacob's sons, they go down to Egypt for food. Uh, and the passage notice that Jacob is not willing to trust them with his favorite son, Benjamin, after the events that unfolded with Joseph, right? They, they saw what happened when he let Joseph hang out with his older brothers. He's like, yo, Benjamin, you could, you could stay with me, <laughs> right? And so we see 10 brothers venture to Egypt for food. Uh, without recognizing him, uh, they bow before their brother Joseph as they seek sustenance to purchase from him. Uh, Joseph in the story clearly recognizes his brothers, but he conceals his own identity, right? So his brothers, they come into Egypt. They, they see Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. All they know is this guy is a bad mamma jamma. Right? This guy is large and in charge in Egypt. And so they humble themselves. They put their, their heads to the earth whenever they come into his presence because they know that this guy has the power to give them bread, to give them life, right? And so they come, they don't, uh, 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 they don't identify their own brother, Joseph. And we're going to see that Joseph begins to, to work this whole thing, not to condemn his brothers, right? He, he doesn't want to judge them, even though they did wrong to him, even though they sold him into slavery, his goal is not to condemn his brothers, but to bring them to a point of repentance. He sees that they have a problem and that they need to be right with God. And so we're going to start to see him orchestrate all these things to bring his brothers to a point of repentance so they can be right with God and with him. It's beautiful. And so historically, this is what's happening, right? This is what's happening in our story. Doctrinally, I want to paint a doctrinal picture for you as we look at this scene. Uh, for those of you who are just jumping in with us, as we've been studying the life of Joseph, we've continued to draw parallels between the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph. And so what's really cool about the Bible is that this whole Bible, it's a picture book, right? And so we can look at the Old Testament and we can see prophecy to come. God wants us to see these shadows, these, these pictures of what's to come through the life of people in the Old Testament. And Joseph happens to be the most beautiful picture of the person of Jesus. And for those of you who don't know who Jesus is, Jesus was literally perfect. He was fully God and he was fully man. And he came and he was without sin in this world. And he died that all of us that are sinners that have done bad things, that we wouldn't suffer the penalty of our sin, right? So in the U.S., we have the, the justice system. And what does that do? Man, whenever we do a wrong thing, the justice system judges us, right? And man, all of us have done wrong things. All of us have sinned, and so we need judgment. But Jesus said, man, I don't want you to get what you deserve because I love you. So Jesus laid down his life that we could take up his life and be in a right relationship with God. Jesus is awesome, right? Jesus is awesome. And so Joseph is the most beautiful picture. He's the most beautiful type in our Old Testament of Jesus. And so Joseph, he's pretty awesome too, right? And so we've seen uh, in previous messages, feel free to go back and, and look at what we've studied, that Joseph is this perfect type of Christ, this perfect type of Jesus. And that picture continues here in this passage. Uh, I want you to see that Jacob uh, his sons represent the nation of Israel. And that's not a far stretch. Jacob's name is Israel. And so his sons are the sons of Israel, and they become the nation of Israel, right? So Jacob's sons represent uh, Israel uh, for obvious reasons. And amidst this famine, amidst this spiritual famine, we could say, uh, they come face to face with the only man that can save them by offering them bread that they might live. Are you guys seeing the picture? So, so Israel, they're in a famine, 
and, and they come face to face with the only person that can save them by offering them bread that they might live. Joseph, once again, is the perfect type of Jesus. And this scene beautifully pictures the first coming of Jesus, where he comes to his brethren, where Jesus comes to the nation of Israel, and they don't recognize him. They don't receive him. Instead, they reject him. In this passage, Jacob's sons, they're too proud to even acknowledge their position. They, they come in and they want to buy bread, right? They, they want to buy it. Joseph's trying to give them bread for free, and they're trying to, to purchase it from him. And we see that he doesn't let them purchase it. He gives them all their money back. Why? Because you can't buy salvation, right? And in and, and the passage, we get to places like uh, verse 11, where it says that they are true men. They proclaim that their own goodness. They boast they're proud in who they are in their own righteousness. He's like, what? You guys sold me into slavery. And you're saying you're true men? <laughs> you guys are seeing the picture, right? They're trying to buy. They're trying to earn their salvation. But in the process, what's happening? They're being confronted with the reality of their own sin. By verse 21, it says, and they said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us? Hey, these things are happening to us. This famine is happening to us as a consequence for our sin. Wow. They're coming into Egypt, right? They, they think they can earn their salvation. They think that their righteousness as true men is going to be put them in a position to receive this blessing. But instead, they, they're confronted with the reality of their sin. Whoa, are you guys seeing the picture of Jesus in this, in the nation of Israel? Our key principle number two is that God uses famine in our life to reveal need and to expose sin. God uses famine in our life to reveal need and to expose sin. This is the principle that we see throughout all of scripture. It's a judgment to reveal sin and to lead people, to lead the nation of Israel to repentance. Uh, in Leviticus 26, verses 18 through 20, it says, and if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, right? If, if you don't hear my words, if you don't hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power and I'll make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass, right? Hard, dry, and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield her fruits. I'm gonna put a famine on the land if you refuse to obey me. If you are in sin, if you reject me and, and the right way, there's judgment that comes with that, right? Whenever we don't go the right way, Whenever we're disobedient to our parents, there's judgment. And God tells them up front in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, like over and over again and judges throughout the whole Old Testament. He's saying, hey, just so you know, there's consequences to your actions. In Malachi chapter two, verses two through three, it says, if you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, so you the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. You have cursed them already because you will not lay it to heart talks about how they're going to curse the seed. They're going to curse the seed, uh, which again is this, this picture of famine and the land because they refuse to give glory to God, to his name. There are consequences to their actions. Ultimately, as the Jews didn't recognize and receive Jesus, Jacob's sons don't recognize and receive Joseph here. And after three days and three nights in prison, which is a beautiful picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
the sons of Jacob depart from Egypt and won't recognize Joseph until their second coming. God's going to use this whole famine to bring them to the end of themselves. And eventually they're going to come back to the feet of Joseph and they're going to recognize him for who he really is. Are you seeing the picture? It's a beautiful story that pictures what's to come, actually, in the life of Jesus and the nation of Israel. Israel suffers the reality of the famine in this life, in their life, and, and get this down, you know, they, they leave uh, Joseph, they, they leave uh, this place of provision, they don't recognize him for who he is, and they try to make it outside of Egypt, right? They, they try to make it outside of Joseph, and we can try to live without Jesus, but the reality that we're going to see is that we're going to starve. If we try to live outside of the provision of Jesus, we're going to starve. And eventually, the sons of Jacob come to the end of themselves, right? They, they leave Egypt, they leave Joseph, and they go right back into famine. And they realize that it's life or death, that this is going to kill them. And it brings them to a place of humbling themselves before Joseph again. And then they recognize him for who he really is, right? He's Joseph, he's their brother. It's beautiful. Okay, so we're, we're, we're doing some work. We, we lay down a historical context of the passage. Guys, why I'm doing this is because we, we like to study the Bible. And, and one of the, the key principles in Bible study is that there's three applications to Scripture, right? There's a historical application. So these things happened in reality in the past, right? Real people, real places, real time, real events. These happened. But there's a doctrinal application. There's teaching here that we need to learn. There's clearly a picture of Jesus in the nation of Israel and the story. But y'all, if it's not practical, it's not preaching, right? If it's not practical, it's not preaching. So there's a personal application for our own lives out of this. And so this brings us to the point of personal application. This is an interesting story. It's a historical event. Um, but the most important question that we can do or that we can ask is what does this have to do with my own life? This is cool. You know, we learned about Joseph. This thing happened in Egypt. That's awesome, you know? Oh, man, it's cool. There's this picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, and it's a further proof for the supernatural nature and the inspiration of the biblical text. But, man, what does this have to do with my life is a question, right? So how do we apply the truth of God's word into our lives today based on what we're learning here? The sons of Jacob, they were reaping what they sowed. Their sin had caught up with them, and God used physical disaster in their life to wake them up, to reveal their sin, and to bring them to repentance to wake them up. Hey guys, you're gonna die unless you get bread, right? To reveal their sin. Man, these things are happening to us because of what we did to our brother Joseph and to bring them to repentance, which we're gonna see soon. They come and face Joseph face to face. They acknowledge him for who he is and they're restored into right relationship. Awesome, right? But God uses a physical disaster to deal with spiritual reality in this passage. If you'll turn with me to, to, to Luke chapter 15, we're going to see another famine that takes place in the Bible. In Luke 15, we see the story of the prodigal son. Are you guys familiar with the story of the prodigal son? In verse 11, it says, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. So this younger son, he goes to his father. He says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance now. 
usually you give your inheritance at the, the end of his life, right? So no, just give me my inheritance up front. And then he packs up his bags, he leaves his family, and he goes and just spends up all his inheritance. Can you imagine? And he's doing it on just crazy stuff, on, on riotous living is how the Bible describes it. And when he had spent all of it, right, he goes out and he spends all the money, he arose a mighty famine in that land. Oh man, there's a famine in the land. Are you seeing the connection? There's a famine in the land. And he began to be in want. He had need. This famine is revealing to him his need. You seeing this? It's attention, wake up. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And, we, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. This guy, he, he ends up being a servant in this household in this land. And he's eating what the pigs are eating. This is rough. This is rock bottom, right? And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough uh, and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Can you imagine this? this the son is so humbled. He realizes that he's completely wronged his family. He's done a horrible thing. But he acknowledges that even the servants in his father's house have it better off than he does. He's like, I don't, I don't deserve the right to, to, to be called son by my father anymore. I don't deserve the right to be called his son. But if I could only be a servant in his house, they got it off better than I do, right? And he acknowledges that he's sinned before, his, before heaven and before his father, right? This, this famine in the land is... It's bringing him to acknowledge his sin, to acknowledge his sin. And so he goes back to, to his father's house and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to him, to his uh, servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is a beautiful, beautiful story, right? The son, he, he's completely gone astray. He's lived a life of sin. He's getting the consequences of his sin. And the famine in the land, it, it gets his attention, right? It brings him to a point of understanding the sin in his life. And it gets him to a point of repentance. To repent just means to turn around. So he turns from the bad decisions that he made, and he returns to his father's house. Wow, are you seeing this? So God will allow both spiritual and physical droughts in your life to get your attention. And we see this over and over in Scripture. After the book of Malachi, God stopped communicating with the nation of Israel, with the world for 400 years. 400 years, God just went silent. This was a spiritual drought, and God used it to bring forth the Messiah, right? We, we see God used it to grab their attention. Next thing you know, John the Baptist is preaching repentance. Oh, man. And, and he used it to bring many people to, to acknowledge their sin and confess him. There's a spiritual drought that God used to produce a Messiah. 
Do you find it hard to hear from God? Do you, dis- do you struggle to discern his voice? Do you struggle to see his hand of direction in your life? Those are spiritual famines in your life. And God, I know you want to talk to me, but I'm just not getting anything. God, it feels like you're so distant from me. Uh, God, I just struggle to see how you're directing and leading me. That's a spiritual famine in your life. And God's saying, hey, wake up. I want to get your attention. I've got something for you, right? In the book of Ruth, he allowed physical drought to deal with Naomi's family, but it brought them to a place of repentance where they literally turned around and returned to Bethlehem, where Ruth was supernaturally provided for and redeemed by her kinsman, her kinsman redeemer. So maybe your drought, the, the season of famine in your life is physical. Maybe you're struggling to, to provide. Maybe you're literally struggling to put food on the table. Maybe there's illness in your life. Maybe there's a, a big transition taking place and it's got you distracted. Maybe it's emotional, you know? Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety and, and you're so worried with, with, with all these things that there is a famine in your life. I don't know where you're at, but God wants to get your attention. He wants to reveal the fact that you are a sinner and the wages of sin is death. And it's only in recognizing your need that you can see he is ready to redeem you and to provide for every need that you have. You see, Jesus is unique in that we are not ordered to work our way to be good enough to earn a right relationship with God. Instead, the Bible tells us that God did all the work on our behalf, that he worked his way to us. Think about it. If God is as big and powerful and holy as the scriptures say he is, how could we ever earn the right to be in his presence? I couldn't do that. Not for for God that big, for God that holy and perfect. Instead, we see that God loved us and he paid the price of our sin. And just like the prodigal son, he desires to use a famine to draw us to himself, that we'd rest in the safety and protection of his wings. And so our last key principle is that God uses famine in our life to draw us to repentance and redemption. God uses famine in our life to draw us to repentance and redemption. Repentance means to turn from your old way and to Jesus, right? Uh, This is needful for salvation, uh, but this is also needful for sanctification, right? To acknowledge areas of sin, to acknowledge spiritual famine in our life and say, Jesus, to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I I don't know where I was, but I got away. I need to turn back to you. God uses famine to help us realize that our old way wasn't working and that we need help from someone more powerful than our circumstances, help from someone that can save us not only in this world, but in the world to come. And redemption is to purchase back. That's what redemption means, to purchase back. In every religious system, we see a moral code and the problem of sin. No matter where you go, no matter what religious system it is, there's a moral code and there's a problem of sin. But only in biblical Christianity do we find a solution for sin. God himself paid the price for your sin by coming into the world and dying, not because he deserved it, but because he loved you. God so loved the world and he wasn't willing that the world would perish. So he died the death that we deserved. He died the death that we deserved, and he offered us his life. If we'd simply repent of our old ways and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for new life. Again, as we study this passage, we can try to live without Jesus, but we learn 
that we're just going to starve, right? And so we, we covered a lot of ground today. I, I'm, I'm over time, uh, but I felt it was just needful to, to lay this out. We see a historical context for what took place, right? We see that Jacob's sons came to Egypt seeking provision for their physical needs. They were going to die, except they partake of the bread of life. We see the doctrinal application that this points to Jesus and the nation of Israel in his first advent, that ultimately the nation of Israel, they didn't acknowledge Jesus for who he was and they rejected him. And now they continue to be in a state of spiritual famine. And ultimately we're gonna see that they re receive him at his second coming. But practically for our lives, God desires to use famine in our lives to bring forth fruit, right? He doesn't wanna use it to condemn us, to keep us down, but that we'd turn our attention to him, that we'd acknowledge our sin, that we'd seek repentance, right? And so I'm going to pray for you all, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in breakout groups. Uh, if you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to, to, to ask me. But I love you guys. I'm so thankful that you gave me the time uh, just to open up the word of God with you. So Lord, we, we see what you're saying, uh, and it's a lot. Uh, but we see just the power of your word. We see the depth of your word. And man, we, we don't want to leave the same. We want to actually apply your word to our lives. You know, we could go through some academic study and we can be scholars, but Lord, the reality is we just want to be students of your book and we want to, to trust you to use it to transform our lives. And so Lord, we, we know that you desire to use hardship um, for your glory in our lives. Uh, we know that you desire to use it to get our attention and, and to draw our gazes back to you. So Lord, I don't know where people are at today. I know there's lots of transition. Uh, I know that there's spiritual famine and physical famine. I know that there's emotional famine. That there's all these things, areas of needs in our lives and that you want to speak into it. And so Lord, I pray that, that we could find application and, and actually just humbling ourselves before you and crying out for help. Uh, Lord, we uh, are rich in the counselors that we have here. And so Lord, we just thank you again for this time. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for the meal. And we just pray that you would bless our week in Jesus' name. Amen.